Welcome to School Mental Health Works, a quick dip monthly podcast presenting dialogues on school mental health in Wisconsin as viewed through the lens of the array of stakeholders who play a role in comprehensive model of school mental health services in Wisconsin. Our mission is to share the successes and challenges experienced by a wide range of partners in Wisconsin as communities continue to collaborate and show that school mental health works. This series is a product of the Coalition for Expanding School-Based Mental Health in Wisconsin, a statewide coalition with a mission to advance and support expanded, comprehensive, and integrative mental health services within the school setting through school, home, and community partnerships. My name is Julie Hiller. I'm the manager of the Racine Collaborative for Children's Mental Health, and I'm also the chair of the board for the Coalition for Expanding School Mental Health in Wisconsin. And today I am honored to have with me Kristen Getchow, a director of mental health for Madison Metropolitan School District, and Scott Racky, chief clinical officer with Katala Health Headquartered in Appleton. So thank you both for being here with me today to share your perspective on how different communities across the state are blending and braiding funding to support mental health services and supports for your students. I'm really looking forward to our conversation to really ground our understanding of where things stand today and where we hope we are headed to advance sustainable funding in the future. And I think when we talk about funding Um, This is a hot topic across the state. A lot of school districts are still trying to figure this out with our community mental health partner. So I think having both the perspective of a community mental health partner and a school district person in the room today is going to bring a really robust conversation. So let's just start off like doing some brief introductions. Can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself and your brief history of your program and services in support of student mental health. And Kristen, I'm going to start with you. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me today. And I also agree. I'm thrilled to be here with Scott. It's We have to have um, our agency partners along with school districts in this conversation. Um, so as you mentioned, my current position is that I'm the director of mental health for Madison Metropolitan School District. Um, I've served over, before in this position, I served over 20 years as a school psychologist in MMSD. Um, you know, as far as uh, a brief history of our program, it's hard to know where to start to highlight a few things. Um, MMSD really has a long history of partnering with community agencies for expanded school-based mental health services. A few examples, um, back when I was starting as a school psychologist, so um, almost 20 years ago, we started working with um, community partners to screen our students for trauma. Um, and trauma exposure and symptoms, and then really worked to bring in community therapists to support um, evidence-based interventions through our CBITS program uh, to support um, all of our sixth graders. So that's been a long time in the making of long-term partners, um, and that's still going strong today. A few other examples, Um, we're in our eighth year of um, sometimes what you think of a more traditional school-based mental health service. So that's our 
BHS or Behavioral Health in Schools program. Um, we also partner there with local community agencies to provide um, at least a baseline of a halftime um, school uh, therapist in 16 of our elementary and middle, middle schools. Um, and then lastly, we've been expanding that model most recently into our high schools. We're looking to build um, more of a school-based health center model in, in our four comprehensive high schools and expanding beyond. Um, and that would also include behavioral health therapists. So lots of different um, streams of types of supports and partnerships, um, but all, all about um, in the interest of providing services and well-being for all of our students. Well, that is going to be a great conversation, and we're going to dive deeper into some of the work that's being done. But Scott, can you just take a few minutes to introduce yourself? Absolutely, Julie, and thanks for the opportunity to talk today. Uh, my name is Scott Radke, and I'm the Chief Clinical Officer at Catelpa Health. Uh, Catelpa is a pediatric mental health agency um, headquartered in the Fox Valley in northeastern Wisconsin typically seeing kids ages 2 to 18. Um, we're a one-of-a-kind uh, organization as we receive support from three different health systems, Ascension Wisconsin, Theta Care, and Children's Wisconsin. Catelpa typically serves around 8,000 or 8,500 families every year for services that include psychiatry, such as medication management, psychological and neuropsychological testing, as well as therapy services, including in our clinics in Appleton, Wapaka, and Oshkosh, as well as over 40 schools uh, within the Fox Valley region. Uh, we've been open for 10 years now, um, and soon after opening, we started getting into school-based mental health services. At the height of our involvement, we are in over 50 schools, um, but that has come down some, largely due to what we're talking about today, which is some of the challenges in finding funding to support these collaborations on an ongoing basis. Awesome, and I'm looking forward from a community mental health partner um, to really talk about your perspective in the funding world and kind of where do we go from here. So having both of you with your expertise today is going to be a great conversation. So to kick things off, more about how you see the comprehensive school mental health model being implemented. And I'm going to say, Chris, in your school district, and then for you, Scott, I'm going to go in your region, uh, but also within schools. So, um, Kristen, let's just start with you on that. Comprehensive school mental health systems. You know, it's interesting when Scott was talking about what was and what is now, um, as I was reflecting on this, I think it's very interesting to think about what our recent history is, right? I mean, we are coming from um, a position currently within MMSD to really work to rebuild our strong foundation for mental health programming post-COVID. Um, we know we spent a lot of time the last few years really pivoting to manage our day-to-day -day operations in schools, and it took tons of creative thinking to just keep programs alive during times of remote learning and then upon um, returning to school. Um, you know, some people are feeling like COVID is over, but I have to tell you, um, schools are still rebuilding to figure out um, getting back into school full time and really managing some major issues like staffing shortages, both at the school district and at the community partner levels. So there's a lot that we're talking about with funding today, but there's also the sort of a very unique landscape that we're having this conversation in um, today. Um, 
you know, when you say sort of where are, what's the landscape looking like right now, um, I really see MMSD and surrounding districts trying to expand programming. You know, we are in a really um, unique time um, where we're having a national conversation about um, mental health challenges, uh, which is amazing. Um, and there's been some um, short-term funding available, which is also amazing, but also very hard to build a sustainable long-term funding um, or long-term model based on short-term um, infusion of money. So uh, the, the grateful for the ongoing conversation and the recognition of the significant needs that are out there um, and working to figure out how to use that um, kind of amplified attention, both with um, conversation and money to build really something that we can build on for the long-term sustainable future. Um, you know, and also just recognizing those current conditions of that, you know, staffing challenges and things like that, that those are also real. Um, you know, a few things that we can talk about, about like what, when I talk about building our foundation, um, that was some of the examples that I gave already about making sure that we've got screening programs available. We do have screening programs available currently at um, around the third, sixth, and ninth grade, um, so that we make sure we're doing a point of touching base with our students on a regular um, cadence within our schools. Um, we really also are working hard to um, create um, stable people. You need people to do in schools to do all of these things, right? So how are we making sure that we're um, hiring the right folks, keeping, um, uh, you know, any leaves filled, right? It, you know, we can have all great partnerships, but if we don't have the staffing to fulfill those on either side of the, the aisle between schools or community, that doesn't really help to have shiny programs that no one is implementing. Um and we also, you know, a few of the other things that we're really doing is thinking about what does it mean to access programs. So some of those programs are housed in our school, but we've also most recently been working on hiring a mental health navigator. Um, in our case, we were able to hire a bilingual mental health navigator to support families in accessing um, programs both in schools and out in the community, as we just know how complex, you know, what a complex system it is for anyone to navigate um, any of those systems and to just allow a little bit more more um, support than what a, our day-to-day -day school staff can do sometimes um, in a more sort of intensive, targeted way. Um, there's so much more to say, but I think, oh, I think I will just say that, um, you know, with all of this, um, it's taken district level support as well, right? So my role has really changed over the last few years to manage the changes in the budget landscape, to change, um, to manage the complexities in our partnerships, um, and just to make sure that we have those implementation resources in place so that what we're doing is high quality and that schools and uh, families can rely on them to be here now and into the future. So Kristen, just as a recap, as I'm listening to this conversation around building your comprehensive mental health system, um, really starting with that platform and really looking at screening. And it sounded like you guys really started at a screening tool um, process. As you begin to um, understand the needs of your students, then you're able to kind of grow your comprehensive mental health system. And I also like how you are tying different aspects of a comprehensive mental health system together. And even including that initial conversation, you kind of blew by it, but I do want to talk just a minute 
about that kind of role of a behavioral health navigator um, and the importance of how you help support families. And can you tell me a little bit, just um, a little bit why we landed on a bilingual? I love that. Um, Tell me more about that. Yeah, we really, when we looked at what services that we are able to provide to our students and families and where some of the gaps were, we really realized that um, just a conversation about access, accessing services both in our schools and outside of our schools was important. We've heard from our students and our families this year that they weren't actually in recent years, but this year in particular, that they really weren't certain about what some of our programs were or how they could access them. And we know that's true both internally in our schools as well as externally. So um, so some of it was that we had a bit of a PR problem ourselves about letting people know. Um, I also think there was so much information coming to people all during COVID that whatever was out there, um, if there are people are anything like me, that you know it went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> so sometimes Sometimes what was told once maybe needed to be told twice or three or five or 10 times. So that's part of what we're really realizing is that we need to do a better job of promoting all the great work we're doing and making sure people can access it. And within that point of access, we know that language can be a barrier. So we really needed to make sure that we had um, accessible, culturally relevant, um, language accessible services for our families. And some of that we can do sort of school by school, but that was a nice place of efficiency was to move that position district wide and make sure that we can support our great school teams who are doing this work to have one more layer of support and access for all of our families. Great. And then, Scott, I want to turn it over to you because you bring a great and an interesting perspective on Appleton area, what they have really done to help support a comprehensive mental health system. You know, as a community mental health provider, being that expert coming to help school districts. So I really want to hear from the provider side uh, about your journey. Yeah, I thought I'd start with just talking about the need in general and bringing it back to when we started as an organization. Um, One of the original arguments for Catelpa came about after a community life study was done, which showed that one in four kids in the Fox Valley felt sad or hopeless nearly every day for a two-week period of time. Um, If I, you know, upon... Preparing for today, I was reviewing the Wisconsin Office of Children's Mental Health annual report, which showed that anxiety, depression, and suicide are up again, with the percent of students feeling sad and hopeless almost every day jumping to nearly 34%. So in a 10-year period, you know, we've gone from one in four to one in three. So we should start by talking about, like, the demand continues to go up. And I think we need to consider that the way we deliver services needs to change as well. Like we can't just rely on people coming to us in our brick and mortar buildings. Now, one of the benefits of the pandemic, if we can talk about benefits of the pandemic, has been telehealth services and our ability to do remote care where families can be at home, what's convenient for them and our providers can be in their offices or be at home. Um, um, creating better access, but still there are many families that struggle to get to appointments, and that may be due to unreliable transportation or work responsibilities or other barriers that we need to continue to evolve and have evolved to meeting kids where they're at. 
why we partner with schools is is for a couple of reasons. One, kids are with their teachers and staff for more hours per day than they are with their parents during the week. And teachers are are child development experts and can give key uh, signs for us and they're great partners to work with when they're seeing difficulties. And, you know, it gives us the opportunity to collaborate with them on how how these kids are doing. Because hopefully, if we are addressing the mental health issues of kids, they're also doing better in school. So it's a key partnership. And, and we we really value that and the opportunities that, that we can provide services in those spaces with them as partners. Um, I want to take a, a couple minutes and talk about Catulpa's involvement and in, um, and how we started. So it was the United Way Fox Cities was the first organization that stepped up for us in creating what's called the PATH program, which stands for Providing Access to Healing. PATH was started as a pilot project in the Menasha Joint School District offering services to elementary, middle school, and high school students experiencing barriers to care. Um, in 2011, that was expanded to nine other school districts, and Catalpa at that point became involved in providing those services and continues today. So we are in the majority of the schools in Outagamie County providing those same mental health services and working alongside our, our educational partners in that way. Um, but in addition to that, school districts have had to be creative at, at creating these opportunities alone, especially those school districts that don't have um, a PATH program to rely on. So certainly looking to community resources such as community foundations and other private groups as well. And at times, once those dollars run out, they have to figure out how they can work the, the costs of those services into their budgets. Or, or seek funding in other places. So um, the Oshkosh School District is a key partner for us. So they've been successful at finding uh, resources to be able to continue our partnership year after year. But it is a challenge for those school districts um, to, to continue to source those, those, those dollars to make programs like this successful. The demand is there, certainly. That's that's without question. But you know, there is a cost to providing these services in this way and meeting kids where they are at. Great, awesome, um, and a lot of great work coming out of the Appleton Fox Valley area around student mental health, and and a lot to learn. So I really appreciate you bringing your expertise today on the funding side. So. Kristen, back to you. Um, you know, because you have a journey. You know, I'm going to say you're what you're eight <laughs> into the journey. So I don't want to um, make people who are just starting this work going, oh my goodness, this is a lot. So um, let's just take a few minutes and really talk about that funding piece, about how you have been able to build a comprehensive mental health system um, using a variety of different funding resources and really kind of get into kind of the meat and potatoes, how you started and how did you grow to where you are today? And, and what does that funding underneath that look like? Yeah, when I've been thinking about funding and talking with people about funding in the last few years, um, one of the things that I really bring to the, the, the front of this is that when I first started doing this work and this position like five years ago, I was managing two funding sources. 
um, there was a grant and there was our local um, school district funding. Um, I counted, my last count was 11, and I think um, we're in the process of writing three grants um, as we speak. Um, some of those are probably already in that 11 because they're kind of um, ongoing grants. But it really is a significant amount of my time right now as a district of really um, working to, um, you know, manage all of those funding sources. They all have different timeframes. They all have different restrictions on spending. They all have different reporting criteria. Um, and that's just on the school side. We know our partners also are coming in with a whole blend of funding um, options themselves with their own grants, um, you know, billings, um, insurance, and things like that. And with each of our community partners, um, it's a little bit of a different blend, right? So some of it is a 100% school-based local budget. Some of them is um, that is 100% paid for with the community partner because they have a grant that's paying it. And they said, you know, hey, we'd love to come into your school and provide X, Y, or Z. And then we have a conversation and, and create a, um, arrange, you know, an agreement about that. Um, and then there's all kinds of blended models of some funding that comes from the school district and multiple, like either, you know, uh, local funds, um, grants, um, um, you know, um, grants that we've either applied for or just donations, right? Um, and some of our, our partnerships in a really short amount of time change pretty quickly, right? Like long-standing funding from some community agencies that supported countywide programs that have changed. And so now each school district is trying to like create um, funding for this long-term program that we had relied on before um, in ways that were paid for by our community partners. So I think that... Um, I spend a lot of time rearranging puzzle pieces to try to um, just keep that foundation as solid as possible. Um, sometimes this funding comes in with, um, you know, a very specific program or, um, you know, add this is sort of the program of the day. And I've been, you know, longer I do this work, I realize that that is not always helpful. I always say like more is not always more, right? If we're creating more silos or adding on programs that schools aren't ready for or take away from the tension of some of our other foundational practices, we really have to do some deep thinking about what expansion can and should look like. Um, and, you know, also just um, a lot of creative thinking. I have the mental health navigator that we were talking about before, Julie. She's been in this position for um, since last January. And I, um, I think we're on her fourth or fifth budget source to keep her um, funding going. And she's just key to supporting our families that need access to care, um, you know, for, for many reasons. So I think that um, it really is taking a lot of time and attention to manage a really complex and increasing complex complex financial puzzle um, we spend and then with each of those different packages right then we're also working with our community partners to just spend the time it's a lot of just face-to-face -face time of meeting and talking and creating MOUs or MOAs to make sure that we're clear about where funding's coming from what are the services that are available what it takes um, you know, for a community agency to come in in a way that we feel the robustness of that service, right? So that we're really implementing it in a strong way. Um, you know, it's not, it's, for me, it's like, it's one thing to manage the money that's coming in, but I want to do it in a way that's like creating really high quality programming and supports for our students, right? Um, so that takes time and attention. 
um, you know, both on the, the funding side, but also making sure that we're creating really strong implementation practices um, that are going to last us a while. And I also hear, and I want to just call this out, um, a pivotal piece for me is around sustainable funding. But what I also see in our conversation, Kristen, is that you're the person kind of managing all those pieces. Like there is a point person at a school district. And what I have found that that works a lot better when there is one person who is able to kind of look at here is the grant landscape and these are all the grants we need to write for and starts writing for those grants and then managing those pieces and having the time and not an add-on position like you're going to do this on top of your regular duties. And so I really wanted to call that piece out for our listeners so that they can start to think about how does that work within their school district? Because I think that also has leveraged, I can balance 11 different grants and kind of know what each grant is requiring of me. And I also, I think also a good piece that you talked about is that bucketing approach of, you know, I have my community funding sources, I have a school district that's putting funding into this, as well as looking at what are state, maybe federal grants, as well as, and I love that donation piece, you know, families feeling passionate about student mental health and donating to those programs. And so awesome job you guys are doing in Madison. And and I think balancing a lot of balls all at once to make it happen and you're making it happen. So thank you for sharing that perspective. And, and Scott, I want to give you a minute here too, because I think you bring in a great perspective. Um, one that I'm always in a bit of a, um, a conversation with my mental health partners on as well. As you know, you come into the school, you really are our community partner. You're our mental health expert. We really look at our, you know, our partners to come in and kind of helping set up that comprehensive mental health system. You know, even working on, like you talked about, that one-to-one, doing some group interventions. Um, would love to hear from you how you're able to work on now going from the, the mental health provider perspective coming into the school setting and, and talking about your experience and making sure that, First of all, that you come into the school building, they're ready um, for a community mental health provider to be in their building. And also looking at, I'm going to talk from a mental health provider, um, having enough students or what I would call a volume of kids that need to be seen during the course when that therapist is there. So I want to talk more about that from your perspective, just um, the challenges and successes that you've seen coming into from a traditional clinic setting to a school-based mental health setting. Yeah, so absolutely. I think it's a great question. Um, You know, so I do want to step back and talk about how it really takes the blend of the work that Kristen is doing in finding those funding sources and also pairing that with what we as providers are able to bill for services, right? So so the math needs to work together to, to have this work out, right? So we, in the, in the 40 plus schools that we are in, we actually license the locations in those schools as mental health clinics, the same as, as our main campus here in Appleton. So that allows us to bill out for um, those services. Now, when schools come to us and say, hey, we really would love to partner with you coming into our district, or if we're already in a district, about expanding, you know, it's, it's a real deep conversation about how much demand there is. You know, certainly from a school's perspective, they see kids with needs. 
and they don't want to see kids waiting for those services. So having a provider in the building to be able to see those kids is really beneficial for the school, for the families, for the kids themselves. Um, but there really needs to be enough volume to keep that provider full for that period of time. And, and, and most of our, our work is coming into a school like, let's say, one day per week for the entire school year. If we're not, if the school is not able to keep that provider full throughout the year, then it turns that formula a bit upside down. And, you know, we really rely on, you know, needing to keep uh, that provider uh, full um, to be able to offset those costs. So it is, a, it is a dance and really important to kind of collaborate with, with the Christians in all of the districts that we have to make sure we're identifying kids, we're talking to the families about services um, and seeing if they're interested in getting services while they're in school. Um, you know, certainly there's some challenges from us as a provider to do this work. You know, schools are shorter than clinic days. So, you know, we wouldn't want to start a kid in a, a, a therapy session at, let's say, after two o'clock because the school day is going to end and a kid may have to get on a bus or get on a ride, and especially if it's a crisis situation. And there, you know, there's certainly other logistical things that we um, need to work through. So it, it is a bit of a puzzle for us to do that work. Um, but, um, you know, we work with the schools to create those, you know, to provide that support for those funding applications about kids we serve. We, we, we identify symptoms every single visit. We, we measure that so they can report out that this program works. You know, it works to see kids um, as soon as there's an identified mental health crisis, whether it is at home or in the school, because the sooner we can apply that treatment, the sooner they can recover, the sooner they can get back to their priority of being a kid. And I like how you put it as a dance, and I absolutely 100% agree it is a dance, because you do have to have enough kids to be seen per day um, to make that to make it work. And I think balancing both pieces, I think school districts leaning into their community mental health provider to understand what that looks like and what that need truly needs to, to be for this to be a sustainable model on the billing side too, um, is a great conversation. And I'm glad you also called that out. So as we had our conversations today, um, both of us are, you know, it's complicated, right? It, it's really a difficult maneuvering, but I have two people on, on our conversation today that really understand the dance. And so really looking at, you know, there are challenges and um, this work is, I, I want to validate, this work is hard work. This is not simple work. This isn't like, hey, here we are, we can do this really easily. It, it takes time and attention to do that. So as we talk a little bit more about sustainability, and I always like the concept of, you know, how do we build long-term success? So kind of what is our wish list? What's that ideal and how do we get there? And I'm just going to start with you, Kristen, just on a few thoughts about, you know, what's the ideal and how do we get there? 
Yeah, my magic wand definitely um, leads to predictable, stable funding <laughs> with as few strings attached as possible um, and as few grant applications as possible. Um, and a crazy amount of time goes into some of this work. And I just truly believe that if this is a universal need, we shouldn't be setting this up as a competition. We really should be finding ways to meet the needs of our students, um, you know, where they are, as Scott said so beautifully. Um, and I also just think that the other part that happens sometimes is that there'll be funding associated for the stuff, um, you know, to, to bring in this program. And we have to make sure that there's funding um, for the related staffing. And as you were talking about, Julie, sometimes that's staffing in the schools. And of course, that's first and foremost. But it also takes staffing to do implementing at the district level or, um, you know, county level or wherever else. You know, so we need to tend to an implementation plan. Um, because otherwise just, you know, sending materials into schools um, isn't high quality intervention um, and also can contribute to staff burnout as we're trying to just chase the next new shiny thing, right, without sort of the sufficient people on all levels of implementation. Um, you know, and I just, you know, Scott just said this, I think when we're talking about the dance analogy, right, that that strong partnerships take time and attention, right? And we both, we need that, when we talk about braided funding, we need funding on both sides so that we're all um, creating um, stable positions to build this work together. Um, and I think we also have to think about efficiencies, right? You know, each school can't do this on their own. I mean, they can and they try and they do amazing work and it's just not... Um, we're spending a lot of resources kind of recreating the wheel school by school or even school district by school district. I think what are some of those ways that we can build some efficiencies into this model um, so that, you know, we have predictable funding in ways that um, gets as directly to students um, as possible without all of these other um, challenges that we've been speaking about so far. Great. Yeah, I, I love that. And um, I love predictable, stable, and not so much grant writing. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Scott, from your perspective, coming from the mental health uh, provider perspective, and I know you bring in a completely different perspective on just what, are, you know, kind of long-term sustainability, how do we get this to work? Yeah, if Kristen can pass me the magic wand, I'll, uh, I will, <laughs> I'll offer my thoughts also. I have a couple of them. You know, one, we really need to, you know, really consider reimbursement rates and how as an industry we can provide some more um, fair reimbursement rates for services provided. I, I think too, maybe many on the call or listening to this, but not everyone, you know, they may not understand how healthcare works, that there is a variable cost for services depending on, um, you know, who your insurance payer is. And the example I use is, you know, it's, it's, if, if you go into a restaurant and two people order the same thing off an entree, one person may pay $20 for that entree and another person pays five. Um, the person that pays five, it still costs the restaurant $20 or whatever it costs to make the entree, but they're getting less for the service. So it, that's what makes healthcare different or different and challenging for us is, you know, based on that payer mix um, and, and the schools we're in, um, if we get, uh, if we're paying, if we're getting reimbursed too many times at $5, you know, then we are looking for more of that funding. So, you know, 
would love to see reimbursement rates change, especially for those insurance payers that uh, pay the least. Um, you know, one of the challenges we're facing right now with the demand for services is not all agencies contract with all insurance companies. So uh, a family, um, let's say that's on, on Medicaid, for instance, will have more barriers to finding a provider group to take them and may have to travel farther to have that happen. Um, and that's that's really not fair to that child. It's not fair to that family. You know, you know, living in Wisconsin my whole life, I, I want to live in a state where everyone has equal access to care, period. Um, so would love to see that happen. The second wish list I wish item I'd have is, you know, being able to do more preventative work. Um, you know, when I think about me seeing my primary care doctor every year and how critical that is for a child or for an adult, would, you know, wonder what would that be like if we could provide that for behavioral health services, if Kristen would identify for someone, you know, someone that, that they, that the family wouldn't have a cost for them to do that. And if we could do more of that preventative work, um, and sometimes families shy away from seeing a provider because of that cost. Um, and then, you know, those problems grow into more crises and it's just harder to manage those crises. And, you know, if a crisis has been going on long enough, there's greater impairment. There's impairment in school. There's impairment for the family. So I think we need to really think about that as well. And, the, you know, I, I guess finally I wanted to point out that it's important that we understand the value of this preventative work. Um, there is a cost to doing nothing different. You know, I mentioned earlier that in my time, we've seen the rates of depression in kids being reported from one to four go down to one to three. You know, what's the cost to this community if it goes down to one to two? Um, we, we, we need to do more to turn the curve with those numbers um, because it impacts not only that child, not only the school, but it affects the entire family. It affects every employer because if a parent of a child with a mental health issues has to miss work in order to go to appointments or to keep their child safe at home, that impacts everyone. You know, what, what would it mean for us as a state um, to put our, our foot forward to making this a healthier, healthier community for every child and talk about what an investment in programs within schools could mean for kids, for teachers, and for the next generation um, coming up um, who will become adults. And I, and I so love that you brought up some excellent points um, in just looking at that need, um, access, having equitable access, um, and really honing in on that, those reimbursements and, and what that really needs to look like for a healthcare provider. So as we talk about the dance, um, the dance is complex. Um, so I want to thank you both for joining me today. Uh, we heard a lot about um, collaboration, which really lies at the center of our funding piece discussion. Um, and this does not work without someone taking the responsibility to get grants. Um, we talked a lot about that. Um, managing those community relationships in a way that continuously draws in families 
our philanthropic funders, local businesses, our state and federal funding resources. You think about grants, our county programs, even our school boards and our local levies um, and our community mental health providers, plus our public and commercial insurance payers. So you look at the the amount of things that um, we are in, we're kind of dancing with right now and bringing those all together to help support um, meeting the needs of our, our of our, our students in the school setting. So, um, you know, while our districts are really finding their way to a path to better mental health supports for their students, we know that, you know, sustainability and having a continuous, reliable funding source is going to be very pivotal. So first of all, I want to thank you both for all that, uh, what your guys are doing every day and each day for our students and families and communities in Wisconsin. This has been a great conversation on sustainability of funding. And I hope that our listeners have taken away some key points that they can go back to their districts and their community mental health providers to start having those collaborations. And until next time, keep working at School Mental Health because School Mental Health works. Looking forward to future episodes? Make sure to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a rating so that others invested in better mental health for Wisconsin students can find us. We welcome your questions. You can find resources and learn more by checking out today's show notes and by visiting the coalition's website at schoolmentalhealthwisconsin.org. Until next time.